Hello, welcome to Throwing Light. This is episode 74, an interview with Amanda Flaker. You guys, I am so, so, so freaking excited. Um, if you have listened to this podcast for any length of time, then you know that I just love Amanda Flaker and I think she is just brilliant. And so I'm stoked to be able to interview her. I just finished the interview. I sat down. Usually I record the intro um, later, like a couple days later, but I just decided to go ahead and do it now. We talk about lack matrix. We talk about the abundance matrix. We talk about um, what it means to be an empath and how that's a trigger word. We, well, she goes really, really deep. She's like a channel. I mean, like, it's just she starts talking and you're like, whoa, what the fuck? Like, that's... That's amazing. So I had a bit of trouble. Like I was so into it that you'll see when it's time for me to talk. I'm like, um, <laughs> what was I going to ask? But I hope it serves you. I hope that it blesses you. I hope that you enjoy it. It's super esoteric. Uh, you know, her work is not for the, you know, dabbler in spiritual concepts and esoteric um, ideas. What happens is when I listen to her YouTube videos, I just, all these lights come on in my head and I'm like, yes, yes, yes. That's so true. That's so right. That's well said. But when I try to show it to like Jermaine, um, my husband, or or really anybody else, there's a barrier. There's something that it's like you have to have this other information before you can, you can like get it. Um, not that not that Jermaine doesn't get it because he really gets it. But anyway, um, what I'm hoping is that no matter where you are in your spiritual journey, that this resonates, that you get it and that you're able to um, take some of these concepts and make them your own and use them to make your life meaningful and beautiful and to co-create with the universe because that's what we're doing. That's the whole point. Last thing uh, before we get into the interview, this these are the last two days to do the giveaway. Leave a comment. I'm sorry, not a comment. <laughs> Leave a review on Apple Podcasts and then screenshot it and email it to me at brandyglows at gmail.com. B-R-A-N-D-Y-G-L-O-W-S at gmail.com. And I'll enter you to win um, either a spiritual coaching session or a psychic reading and some coffee or something delicious. Uh, as always, thank you for tuning in. I love you and I think you're incredible and I'm really excited to share this with you. Hello, everybody. Um, so glad to be here today with Amanda Flaker. If you have listened to my podcast for any length of time, then you have definitely heard me talk about her. I um, mention her content and link her content like um, many, many episodes. Uh, Amanda 
is a well I'll you know what I'll let her introduce herself um and I'll just give the mic over to her okay sounds great um so I have been working with empaths specifically for the past seven years and I have a YouTube channel where I pretty much focus primarily on empaths and more recently in the last three years three to four years empath entrepreneurs and that's kind of been my passion, and I got into it because I had been in, you know, the typical nine-to-five world for a while and just came up against a, a barrier where I was like, I don't feel like I'm expressing or being who I truly am. This box doesn't feel good to me. Um, I had this whole internal world that I didn't understand at all, and felt all the time. I, it, I got to the point where I'd be like crying every day on my way to work because I just didn't, I didn't understand why everything about my reality felt so hard, but it felt like no one was talking about it. And I finally just, I guess what many people call a spiritual awakening. I just had an aha moment where I was just like, I can't do this world anymore. I can't do the nine to five thing. I can't, it doesn't seem sustainable to me. And I'm, I'm miserable inside of it. And so in that journey, I sort of discovered, I didn't even know what being an empath was. And I don't even honestly remember how I realized that. I think it was my first intuitive session that I had that someone had said, you're very empathic. And something about the word just lit up to me. And, and everything in my life made sense. It was like a trigger word. And since then, everything understanding myself through the lens of what it means to be empathic and then really even taking it one step further and understanding that being an empath is the most human quality that we have and so accepting our empathic gifts or our human technology is really accepting our humanity and i realized that the world pretty much is at war with their humanity and that's why we're miserable is because we're at war with ourselves instead of actually in fellowship with ourselves. And, and what are we and how does it work? Because mm -hmm. we are thinking beings and we're emotive, we're feeling beings and we are physical beings. And what does that actually mean altogether? So that's where my work has been in the last seven years. I've just like dove really deep and created a career out of it, which I didn't even know I was going to do. I didn't, I didn't have a plan. It just kind of all all became what it is. So that's my, that's my, that's my journey. That's, that's, um, that's beautiful. And it's funny cause that's kind of how it was for me with the word empath. I remember in 2013, I did this coaching call. It was, I was being coached and the coach said something about her daughter being an empath. And I was like, like the word just kind of, it was like a trigger and, the more I looked it up, I was like, uh, oh, like that, that explains why suddenly I, for me, it was like, I felt like I couldn't get through like normal things that people just like went through like parties. And like, sometimes I would just find myself being overwhelmed with emotion mm -hmm. that didn't feel like mine, but I didn't know, I didn't know what to do with it. And I didn't know what it was. And yeah, so that word really, really had the, the similar effect it, um, on me. That's really cool. Yeah, it's a trigger word for sure. I think it wakes people up. Mm, yeah, that's so interesting. So um, I, if you were, uh, I guess, for people who are new to your work, um, could you describe 
a little bit about your um you did a little bit your spiritual life philosophy, but I'm I'm interested. Like, if you were at a party and you know somebody said, "Hey, what do you do?" <laughs> like, how, how would you how would you answer? That's such a great question because for the longest time, I I didn't know. I'd be like, "Well, I'm a coach, but I'm not really a coach. I'm more like a mentor. I teach empaths." I I never knew how to answer that question, but honestly, I would say at the core of it, I'm a content creator. And I work, Mm. I also mentor empath entrepreneurs one-on-one. So, but my primary thing is creating content and I create content on YouTube and I create, to me, I, I'm bringing language to all these intangible things about being human. That's, that's kind of what I feel passionate about. And it's sort of a, I think anyone who has multi-sensory abilities or really tap into their intuitive gifts sometimes it's hard to even explain what it is that you're doing or why it's valuable until you just start doing it and realize that it's valuable, realize that people are asking for it. And with, with YouTube, in terms of being a content creator, I realized as soon as I started putting myself out there, it started with blogs. I started writing blogs about just weird esoteric Mm -hmm. stuff and things that Mm -hmm. I was interested in. And this was before the internet was as censored as it is now when you could actually find real people talking about Mm -hmm. real stuff aside from just like companies that bought, bought their way to the first page, you know? Mm -hmm. And I remember I just started realizing there was this whole conversation going on with people like me that I would have never even known existed because they were not in my reality at all. And so there's this thing about putting my ideas online I started seeing how it connected me so quick and that there was many of us already having this psychic conversation. So many people would say to me, I swear what you said in your blog or in your YouTube videos, they're my exact thoughts. It's like we were talking and you articulated things that I've never said out loud, but I've always been thinking. And I had always been having those conversations as as well and not saying them out loud. So when I just put it out there, it was amazing to me how there was this whole receptive group of people all over the world, literally all over the world that were like, yes, I'm having the same thoughts and the same feelings. And that's when I really realized, wow, how powerful the internet is, how powerful it is to connect the tribe, to connect the tribe vibe and, and to connect with people that you may have never ever known existed. And it also helped me realize how powerful um, censoring content is when, when we only have acceptable things that you can talk about and, and other things are unacceptable or they're crazy. So all these people are really thinking the same things, but because it's being censored or, or because we have this, this public persona of what's okay to talk about and what's not okay, that you don't actually really hear what people the real things that people are really thinking inside because we live in a society where we're so over-policed on what we can say and what we can think and what we can feel. And, and there was a beautiful time in the internet where that wasn't so censored. And I, I, I came online right when that was still ripe. And it's a, mm. it's a total, the internet's completely different now. I think YouTube still allows people to, to find people that are different. So I love YouTube because of that. But, um, that was a long way of answering your question, but that's, I, I think really what I do is I tap into the collective conversation that are going, that's going on, but 
amongst people like us that don't have a voice and I give it language. And something about that process just gets the momentum of the conversation going. And it, I think it makes people feel not so alone. And it also is exciting and, and, and dynamic and so interesting that people have these incredibly weird esoteric experiences and synchronicities and thoughts and miracles, literally miracles happening in their life that they're like, I don't know who to share this with. I don't know how to share Mm -hmm. it or having all these downloads or, you know, there's just so much, there's so many miraculous things happening behind the scenes, but unless we're connecting and talking about it, we don't realize how powerful how powerfully this is actually going on in the background, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I heard recently that the job of a, of a communicator, of a good communicator is to give language to that, which is like deep in our heart. Mm. And for me, I think you definitely, you do that. And I like your, what you have, I mean, I think, you know, just like the word empath, like we were talking about. Um, But also you've done work on, um, you know, the lack matrix and the abundance matrix and fault lines and anomaly. Mm -hmm. And those, I think those words are so, it's like, it's like you're, um, and I don't know if you make up language or if you, um, I don't know, if you're downloading it, but it's so, it, it resonates so much to me. And I just feel like, Oh, like that rings true, like deep in my soul in a way, um, that like, that's, that's, it's like, you know, that it's like, you know, it's true. Yeah. Um, I, um, well, so one of my questions, what you kind of already answers was how did you, how did you land on working with empaths? Um, but like, was it, I guess, how did you, yeah, I, I think that, I think that question still works. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I honestly, it was because of my own trying to understand myself. I honestly have never once read a book about empaths. I've never, I don't really dive deep into research about empaths, which might sound weird, but something about when the word was triggered in me, it's like I knew what it meant. And it opened up this whole realm. It's like as soon as that word triggered something in my brain, all this content started, all this, not even content, but understanding of myself started just flowing. It's like something clicked that had never clicked before that I always understood about myself, but never had language for because it was never named. And that's something that's so interesting about our, about being human and the fact that we speak that it's like until something is spoken, it doesn't it doesn't exist really in the 3D. So giving mm. it language has helped me understand what it is. And so how I started working with empaths is just understanding myself. I it was honestly me trying to understand what that meant. So I would write about it and then I would talk about it. And I then I'd put it online and then people would resonate with it. And so that's to me what started the conversation. And I really it was always me. I thought I'm going to understand myself and talk to myself. And if there's anyone like me, then maybe this will help them. 
And that mm. I did it for me. I was my number one client in my mind. I mean, I didn't even call it that in the beginning. I just was like, I want to help me understand me. And maybe in that process, I can help someone else. And that's how it all unfolded for me working with empaths specifically. And I realized the more fine-tuned I got with working with people who were similar to me, my gifts were revealed to me in a deeper way. So it's kind of been like this weird psychological experiment, which is like when I, as I talk to empaths and work with empaths, I'm really just getting an opportunity to love myself more. Mm. Wow. Yeah. I love that. And that's, you talk about, yeah, that's, that's beautiful. I would love to back up. Uh, and how would you define empath uh, just for people who, who don't know that word or that term? Well, I think it's important to understand that there's not a ton of unanimous definitions of what that even means in terms of just people that are talking about it. But the general idea is that to be empathic means that you can feel other people. You f you're sensitive to how other people feel. And obviously this is a spectrum, right? I mean, and some I think everyone has a, has everyone is empathic to an extent unless you're a sociopath. And which would be mm -hmm. like the exact opposite of an empath. So it's not like an elite or special group of people. It's, it's, it's a very human quality, but some people, the ability to feel others is way, way, way more amped up than others. And so, and it, I think primarily people who I work with are people on the spectrum of being very, very finely attuned to how people feel. So it can go, you walk into a room and you instantly can feel everyone's emotions or you're with someone and you, you emotionally will take on their emotional state where you feel it's like there's no distinguishing between you and them. And so a lot of people mm -hmm. who, whose empathic gifts are very amped up like that have a really difficult time navigating the world because they can be so uh, influenced by everyone around them and often not even knowing where they are in the mix, not, not knowing where they end and another person begins because they're so empathic. And this can also come, there's, again, there's lots of different schools of thoughts about this, but this can, a lot of people develop this ability because a very heightened ability of this because of abuse. And mm -hmm. that's not, and some people are just born with it as well. So it, it can manifest in all these different ways. It's a lot of people assume it means you're just a good person or you're very altruistic. It doesn't actually necessarily mean that at all. It, but it can, if you know that you're empathic and you can consciously use it, it's a gift because human beings need to feel witnessed and seen. And, and when someone can share your emotional space with you, and witness it in that way without taking it on or taking responsibility for it, which is what a lot of empaths struggle with. It can be a very healing tool to have and to, to create communion and really connect with each other. So that's to me what an empath is, is someone who can, who has the ability to feel or empathize with another. It's different than sympathy because sympathy is like you can understand that that might be hard and you feel bad for someone. Empathy is when you literally feel what they're feeling. Yeah. And I coming from a social work background, there's a lot of people in that field um and and in the service fields in general 
who are very empathic, they're very, they're, they're, I think defined as givers, like they mm-hmm. give like all of themselves to the, to their detriment. And I have been interested in this concept, especially because I don't, I don't tend to be like that naturally. Um, I, I'm naturally more self, more selfish. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and I have become more that way because, you know, I think we're socialized, especially as women, to, like, that's what's quote-unquote good, mm-hmm. is t- to give all of ourselves. Um, but I've, I have, in, I guess, my own observations come to realize, because I thought for a long time, like, those people are the good people, and I'm, like, the bad per- the bad people. And what I realized is, like, those people or you know, everybody has their own ways of getting their needs met. And it's, it's that deep need, you know, whether it's this belief that there's not enough that you talk about, um, and that I have to give all of myself in order (laughs) for for there to be enough for, for me. And in giving all myself, then the other person will reciprocate and, and I'll be, and I'll be loved and I'll be safe. Um, And and then there's, you know, there's the other side where I'm going to take what I need <laughs> because there's not enough. Yeah. And so, you know, I have to make sure I get mine. And um, as I have, I think there's what's interesting to me is that we we see the shadow side. Like, it's easy to see the shadow side of like my natural like we to see the shadow side of the, the selfishness. Mm-hmm. I think we don't as much focus on the shadow of the like that all all giving the the person who doesn't include themselves in the equation and just completely depletes themselves and then expects other people to fill that up for them. Yes, yes, there's a deep shadow to that. And the people who often are the givers view themselves as the the good one. This, this goes into the human psychology of having to be good. And so when we view yes. ourselves as the good person who always gives, often people, often we have the deepest shadows because it means we don't want to look at the way we're indirectly getting our needs met because we're not actually directly getting them met. Yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, I, can you talk more about – I? The I think right now, it, what's coming out is is a um, a deep a deep desire to be good and mm-hmm. um, and so I would love I would love to talk more about that and and hear your thoughts on that some more. Yeah, it's this is huge. I think it's so important for people to understand shadow work right now is I feel like more important than ever. Because the thing to understand about the desire to be good, there's nothing wrong with it because we want to be good because it feels good to be good. But what we don't understand is the reason why it feels so good to be good is because we are in a reward punishment system, which is the lack matrix. So we 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 reward good behavior and we punish bad behavior. But the problem with that is we have to always determine what's good and what's bad, which always changes based on what's trending, what's popular, what's valuable at the time, what's, it, it, it changes constantly. And so, and, and understanding the lack matrix is 
that fundamental belief that there's not enough. This is the, the basics of this belief. There's not enough. And so we have to determine who's worthy to receive. So we have to create some sort of system to say who's worthy and who's not worthy. And the ones who are worthy can receive and the ones who are not worthy don't receive. And this is all based on this fundamental belief that there's not enough, which is actually an illusion. So what we create in that paradigm, which is the it ultimately the victim, aggressor, savior paradigm, is this idea that something always has to be sacrificed because there's not enough. So our tendency and our obsession with needing to be good is not necessarily altruistic at all. It's a survival mechanism. And that's why it's not necessarily always coming from the idea of being good is not necessarily coming from putting other people's best interests as your own or putting your best interests, knowing that you're actually ultimately connected to everyone. And that there is, when we shift our mindset, when we really look at that and understand that the truth of our reality is, is that there is enough. We have an in, energy itself is infinite. The very essence of what we are is infinite. Energy can never be destroyed and only changes forms. There's cycles. Things cycle and change, but energy is infinite. There's quantum physics shows us that there's an infinite amount of ideas, an infinite amount of realities, and an infinite, infinite amount of parallel realities. And that actually our thoughts and focus shift us all the time. So what's always driving the reality that we experience is our core beliefs. Most people are in a core belief that there's not enough. And so their tendency to need to be good is based on survival. And what's dangerous about this whole thing is that as long as the beliefs about what's good are actually serving everyone, serving the planet, serving the whole, then it's fine. The hive mind and the autopilot of that program can kind of function. But as soon as the majority rule belief is actually not serving the whole and is not sustainable, then the things we think that are good are actually working against us. And so we've got to get over this whole concept of being good because we control each other through that. And, and mm. kind of going back to what I was saying earlier about everything being censored and this, this being fearful of each other, being fearful of people's thoughts that are different than ours, being fearful of people's beliefs, being fearful of all of that comes from this idea that I have no innate power my and all the powers out there in the group. And so in order for me to feel good, I have to change the group. And so we go from being creators to just being cogs in the wheel. And we believe that we have to convince others or force others or dominate others to believe what we believe in order for our reality to exist because we don't believe that every reality exists and every reality can exist. So it really truly causes us to focus our creative energy, which imagine if you really knew that there was enough and that everyone's, no one believing something different from you is actually a threat to you if you understood your power. Mm that you would just let people live their lives because your only focus would be, I want to live the best possible life I can live. And I want to make sure that I curate my beliefs. Beliefs are the key. What I believe is what I will experience. And so that's number one, most important priority is what am I believing? And is it serving me? And is it serving my relationships and serving the whole? And because we have unhealed wounds and unhealed trauma collectively and individually, we believe things based in trauma. Our beliefs are all filtered through this trauma that has not been healed. 
So they're, they're filtered through lack. So we keep creating the same situation over and over and over. And, and even right now, what's going on in the world, it's like when trauma comes to the surface to be healed, it's the opportunity for things to change. But typically, if we stay in the lack matrix, the system doesn't change at all. All that changes is power. Power just changes hands. So now who was formerly the oppressor becomes the oppressed. And who was formerly the oppressed becomes the savior or, or the aggressor. It's just power just changes hands, but no change is actually made. It feels like there's change because oh, there's a lot of momentum and, and there's the power shifting hands, but it's the same exact system just with new players in hand. Now what's good, what was considered good in the old paradigm is now bad. And what was considered bad is now good. And what's con- it's just, it just, things just shift around, but it's the exact same system which is lack and that is the systemic issue the systemic problem is lack it's it's infiltrated every system every organization every religion it's it's in the human program we have a collective belief that there is not enough and so we keep going to war with each other and we keep creating the same exact systems over and over but because we believe there's a not enough power so the only way to have power is to dominate it is to is to take it from others or to control it in some way and say who's allowed to have it and who, who isn't. I don't know if that answered your question, but it goes so much deeper than just being good. Being good has to do with survival. Yeah. No, it's absolutely answered my question. And I, and I was like making mental notes of like the things that I wanted to, <laughs> to like go into. Um, can, you, can you talk about the victim, aggressor, savior, uh, paradigm and and where that comes from and and kind of how you talked about um, you mentioned it but I would love to hear like because um, I feel like I we all play those roles in different and I think you've talked about this we all play those roles like they are all of exactly. us exactly um, we play every role and so is that um, like it where did that idea where did that concept come from. Well, the, the victim, aggressor, savior is a, is a psychological concept. I don't know who originally came up with it in terms of that exact um, wording of it. I don't know if it was young mm-hmm. or I'm not sure, but it, it's, it's, pretty, it's pretty well known in the psychological, in the psychology realm. But the, it, it's so deep. And if you want to talk about like the origins of what happened I don't really know. We know there's, mm-hmm. the, and even in all the mythology and the literature and religions, there's this kind of general idea that at one point we were living in a higher state of consciousness and we had total trust with creation and we had total cr- trust with what we are as creators. But at some point, some program got in the system, this lack matrix or this illusionary grid that, that actually shifted the lens and and taught us to not trust or caused fear or caused trauma or something came into the picture where we lost, we fell in consciousness or we lost our trust in what we are or we, and there's lots of different ways to look at that, but it's how the duality was created and this idea, this polarization that we're in. So I don't really know how, how, what actually happened, but I think every human kind of innately knows and senses that something's off, that, that this doesn't feel right. This, this, Mm -hmm. this system that we're in, 
because it's an actual, it's an illusion. And even in this system that we're in is very linear. Like we have this concept in our science and everything. It's changed because science has evolved so much, but mainstream people still believe in mainstream science. This idea that there's a beginning, a middle and an end, and that's it. Even though everything about the planets and nature and energy itself shows us that we are cyclical, we're not linear. We die and come back to life just the way nature does. And planets are round, like everything's cyclical. But we've, we've somehow went into this simulation where we believe in limitation and lack in a linear world. And it's interesting. It's like an interesting perspective, but it's a mimic program of the actual reality. It's a simulation. It's not even real, but we believe it so strongly, which attests to how powerful we are as creators. And if we, if we believe something, we create it and our whole world will reflect it back to us. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, uh, I would love to talk about, so the, there's an interesting, you, you kind of touched on it, but, um, I'm fascinated with this idea of um, of how, sh- pe- like you've said, punishment, like pe- like punishment doesn't change behavior, mm-hmm. and um, and we naturally police each other. We naturally, I guess, in the lack matrix, we we shame each other. Yep. We try to shame each other into doing what we think is is good. Um, so, because if everybody else is good, then we're good. Somehow, mm-hmm. I guess. Um, <laughs> um, but I, yeah, I would love to. I would love to talk about um, that, and then, uh, well, let's let's start there. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I. One thing that I talk about a lot is how the victim, aggressor, savior paradigm, or the lack matrix, is how we control people in it is through fear, guilt, and shame because the entire Mm -hmm. matrix of lack is exist because of fear. It's run on fear. It's, it's all, it's all created based on trying to manage, manage uh, our lives and manage others because we believe that ultimately we're just here to survive. Like the, the universe isn't for us. Our technology is not for us. People aren't for us. The whole thing is set up as, as like a, a war game or the a survival game. And mm-hmm. so we don't trust, tr- lack of trust is at the core of that. So when you don't even trust yourself, you don't trust your humanity and think about even religion and not just religion, the secular world too, how much negative things we hear about humanity all the time. It's just like pretty natural for people to say humans are the virus on the planet humans are so bad what's wrong mm-hmm. with humans they're so evil they're so dark when in actuality what we're experiencing is our aspects of ourselves that we have kept hidden in the shadow our our real power so that shadow thing that we fear so much it's ourselves trying to say mm-hmm. wake up you are way more powerful than you realize and because you're denying your power you're you're hurting yourself you're, and you're giving your power away to a simulation. You're fueling. Our power is our beliefs, like I said, our emotions, which fuel our beliefs. Emotions are the fuel. People don't act unless it's emotional. Even marketers know this. They figure out what, mm-hmm. what, where can we emotionally trigger someone into buying this. So we are, we are fueled by emotions. And then we, we 
experience that those thoughts and those emotions in our physical body and our body our bodily experience is meant to be highly sensitive and highly attuned so we can experience the reality of our beliefs mm. and because mm -hmm. we've numbed out our emotions in the lack matrix how you feel doesn't matter it's only what you think because the mind is in control and that's why there's that saying that the mind is a wonderful servant but a terrible master it's not connected to discernment in the way the body is in the way that feeling or being embodied is so it, it this is all so deep but going back to what you said about shame and policing each other is that we do that because we do not trust we are in fear and we don't trust and it's not actually about not trusting others we don't trust ourselves because we're denying mm -hmm. our power and and we're denying our power primarily because we're in a reward and punishment system that says if you're bad, you get punished. So we believe that power is bad and that those who have power are the ones controlling us. So then we can say they, 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 who the they that are doing this and the they that are the dark and the they, they, the they is us because we've given them all of our power. We've given our power externally and we're terrified because it leaves us defenseless. And so then we have to fear, guilt, and shame each other into staying in, in line because we don't understand that the only power we have is in our resonance. And this is where it gets mm. interesting. If we understood this, it's so mind-blowingly powerful and simple that if everyone understood this, every war on the planet would end because what we attract, what we are resonating at, we attract. And we can shift our resonance. Resonance is not just a thought. It's the, it's, the, um, it's the energetic equation of our thoughts and our emotions and how it's being experienced and allowed in our electromagnetic field through the body. So if I am resonating at a certain frequency, I cannot... Can you say that one more time? Sure. Our resonance is the equation, the energetic equation of our thoughts and our emotions that's expressed through our physical body. Hmm. That's our electromagnetic field. This is, this is the real science. If, if we understood hmm. this, this world would be so different. Our, our electromagnetic field is the only thing we have power over. We have sovereignty there. That is what it means to be an individual. The lack matrix does not want you to think of yourself as an individual. You have to be part of the whole. That's how it works. Because as soon as you get this, you're free. That your resonance, and this is true, we know this scientifically, we know this energetically, like matches like. If you are a certain frequency, a certain resonance, you cannot be a match to something that's not in that same frequency. So when people truly start mm -hmm. to get this, this is where this is this is what's hard because we're so used to controlling and policing each other and the reward punishment and this superiority that comes from I'm the good one. I'm the moral one. And by the way, that's how the hive mind or the lack matrix, it, it exploits uh, or um, what's the word I'm looking for. It expresses dominance. It has to have moral superiority. It works through moral superiority. Mm -hmm. So whatever's good, we have to like I'm we have to argue for what's the best and what's good and what's moral. And then once you can convince the majority that this is the moral thing, then you can control people through fear, guilt, and shame by, oh look, you're mm -hmm. not good, you're not moral. So mm -hmm. when you understand that you, you your individual power is the only power that you have, 
you unplug from the hive mind. You, you immediately hmm. start going within and you start, you stop policing people and you stop caring so much about what other people are doing. And your number one focus becomes about what you're doing, what you're believing, what you're thinking. This is shadow work. And you can't be afraid to look at yourself because when you really start looking, that's when you start seeing, wow, I believe some shitty things, you know, like, especially when it comes to other people. And this is where empaths come in because we tend to give our power away and, or we tend to feel powerless to how everyone else is feeling. And so we're easily controlled and manipulated by other people because we believe I can't feel better until everyone else around me feels better. So Taking our individual sovereignty, first of all, that's anomaly right there. When you start thinking of yourself and taking 100% responsibility for your life, no matter how uncomfortable that is, you have to give out, you have to give up the whole revenge game. You, it doesn't mean you ignore how that feels from people who've wronged you or whatever, but you have to see your part in it. There's no way anyone could have can transgress against us unless we give them our power. And that is so hard for some people to wrap their brain around because we are so deeply embedded in that system of revenge, reward, and punishment. Because once we can really prove that someone's wrong, then we get to have the immoral authority and then we get to manipulate them or we get to say what's right and wrong or we get to have a voice. So we make it so about the other and that's why we're enslaved to it. I kind of went on a roundabout thing, but did that kind of somewhat answer your question? A hundred. Yeah, totally. And I think you can go wherever you want. Like, um, I, I, um, we are probably going to wrap up pretty soon, but I was wondering, and you sort of answered this, but what, if somebody, is brand new to this idea of the lack matrix, the abundance matrix, like, and, and, and your resonance, like what are some basic um, thoughts on how would you, how do you begin shifting your residence? How do you begin playing with the idea that we live in a multidimensional universe and like, like everything exists? I think that has been just like a, it's been such a, meaningful belief for me and especially when things start to like just in normal life like this this sounds great but then like when your car breaks down or like yeah. when shit is hitting the fan you're like fuck like yeah. <laughs> you know like it's it you know it's all it's all stupid and you know everything is is bad um I guess yeah so how would you begin to like play with this in like your life in a practical way yeah yeah. Well, one thing is starting just, it's, it's, uh, this is kind of how I teach it. At the basis, we have to understand that the core belief of, of the lack matrix is that there is not enough. So in even the smallest ways, transitioning our thoughts, for example, we usually in the lack matrix, we always have to break things down into this or that right or wrong. It's duality always. So even just starting to, mm. starting to shift our mindset between it's not this or that, it's this and that. Both things mm. can be true. So when I'm faced with a decision, especially those moments when you feel like you're, you, you can only choose this or that, allowing yourself to go, is that true? Is there, can I do this and that? Or is there even something in between? Is there, is there, are there more options here than I'm allowing myself to believe? And this is really important because that's how, this is how the last, 
the lack matrix controls people is by forcing you into having to make a choice. This illusion that for politics are a good example. You can only be a Republican or a Democrat or liberal or conservative. It's not true. Mm -hmm. That's such bullshit. People can be both and be neither mm -hmm. or anything in between mm -hmm. or don't care at all. So um, there, there isn't there. We have to start allowing ourselves to just consider possibilities and it's, it's really a mindset shift. So even when I'm in a situation where my car breaks down, we could trigger, especially if we've been deeply in lack, it could trigger a whole series of beliefs. Like I don't have money. Mm -hmm. See, nothing's ever going to work out for me and blah, blah, blah. It starts with questioning, just saying, is that true? Is it, mm -hmm. is, is it true that this is the only thing that's ever going to happen to me and that I'm going to keep being in this situation? And is there any other thought I could have about this right now that just feels a little bit better than the powerlessness feeling of that? And this is what's so interesting about this work is that you have people on the extreme of believing you always have to be positive and never look at anything negative or you're going to manifest negative stuff, which is actually mm -hmm. not true. What we're more the goal is, is to get neutral. First and foremost, mm. just to allow ourselves to get more neutral instead of being so obsessed with this or that, right or wrong, it's good or bad, it's, and, and making it so black and white. So to start out, just allowing yourself to just uh, paying attention to when you're jumping to extremes and, and jumping to polarization and asking yourself questions like, is there another way I can look at this? Is there another way mm -hmm. I can see this? Is, another, is there another route I can take on the way to work? This is where anomaly comes in. And I think it's really important that you brought anomaly up because anomaly mm -hmm. is what propels us out of the mimic program. Anomalies is what propels us out of lack and out of the simulation of lack. We have, to, we have to see evidence of something different before we start believing mm -hmm. it. So, and, and even, I, actually, I wouldn't even say that's true. We have to believe that something's different before we start seeing evidence of it. So we mm -hmm. have to start mm -hmm. just allowing ourselves to consider that possibility, first and foremost, that it's not just this or that. And one of the a good way that people can even navigate their way out of lack and abundance. I have what I call the seven laws of astronomical abundance, which are just basic concepts on the difference between the lack beliefs and the lack matrix and the abundance matrix and the different emotions that dominate both and how we can really what we take action on is what matters. If I'm taking action from a place of fear or guilt or shame, I'm in lack when I'm taking action from a place of excitement, of joy, of, of going towards something I want, I'm in abundance. When I'm against something and I'm taking action from being against something, I'm creating more lack. And this is important right now because there's a, a meme going on. A lot of people are saying with this given situation that we're in, this this thing it's not enough to be against in this case racism you have to be anti-racism mm -hmm. but i would even take it one step further and say if we if you're in an abundance mindset it's not enough to be anti anything you have to be for something you have to know what you're for so you can feel all the anger and the oppression and the bullshit of the lack matrix and it's important that you do because that's your human technology telling you something is wrong you need to listen mm -hmm. to this 
But then if you take action from that space, it's from, it's in that energy of, well, then I have to change someone out there or fix someone out there or control someone out there or dominate someone out there in order for it to feel better. That's just lack. So you have to take the, this sucks, something's off and go all the way to what do I want then? What is this showing me about what I want? What is this showing me about what I'm for? And we have to get a vision about what we're for. And that's how we start stepping into abundance because everything we need and want and desire exists. We have the technology to set the whole planet free with free energy. We have the planet to set the whole, we have the technology to set the whole planet free economically as well. And it's being suppressed because the lack matrix is held together by powerful, powerful principalities and jurisdictional hive mind energy, like strong belief systems that a lot of people believe that then the whole system of lack is keeping in control through fear, guilt, and shame, through punishing, through censoring, all the bullshit you see going on, which has been going on forever. It's nothing new. Mm-hmm. It, it gets more intense when anomaly is about to happen. And that's why we're seeing it so powerfully right now. Mm-hmm. We've seen more censorship than ever before, more bullying than ever before, more social shaming than ever before, more division than ever before, more group think than ever before. Right now, if you really pay attention to the narrative that social media is, it's all about groups. There's no individual. It's not about individuals mm. at all. And they don't want you to talk about individual anomaly because it goes against what they're, it goes against the whole group think idea that's part of the lack matrix. So this work, the most important thing to understand is that it's an individual journey. And mm. if we want to navigate in abundance, we have to get out of the mindset of majority rules. That is one of the most destructive belief systems to have. Because if majority decides that everyone should be, or that a certain group of people should be oppressed and, and they can, can morally convince, just like Hitler did, why this, this group of people could be convinced, all you have to do is get it enough into people's mind and then get enough people to believe it and get enough people to believe it's right and good. That's what Hitler did. If you look at why, the reason, the case he built against the Jews that's what he was doing. And then majority rules. Okay. So as soon as the majority tips, then those people have no more individual sovereignty or freedom. That is what's so dangerous about mob mentality and group think. And it is absolutely based in lack. And so we have to get really discerning and know that even though our heart may be in the right place and we want good and we want to create peace Mm. and we want to bring unity and we want to be, we want to be together. We have got to do it inside first, individually first. And we have to give people room to do that as well, to figure it out, to get angry. To, we cannot police each other. And we cannot try to control some, what, someone else's behavior or someone else's thoughts without it coming back and happening to us. Eventually, mm-hmm. the aggressor is going to be the, the one that's oppressed. And eventually, the mm-hmm. one that's oppressed is going to be the aggressor. It just always works that way. So that's why Jesus was such an anomaly when he said, do unto others as you would have them do to you. But in group think, we think, no, and you can see this going on. It's only moral, like, it's a, I have these moral beliefs and I'll treat people like how I want to be treated only if they believe what I believe. But if they don't believe what I believe, then that goes out the window and I can treat them however I want. 
Mm-hmm. And that's where there's a massive problem. People aren't doing the shadow work. They're not doing the work of going within because they're fearful and they're believing unless they control the majority that they don't have any power. And that's, if you think about each individual person, if people individually just started walking away, walking away for the, from the war, walking away from trying to control everyone, mm-hmm. walking away from the hive mind, it would dissolve because it needs mm-hmm. humans to function. It needs your creative energy to power it. And all that creative energy could be go towards building the world we want. And instead we're fighting mm-hmm. with each other over the world, what world, what world we should have instead of just going, Oh wait, I can just step into it. And we're afraid to step into it because we believe we don't deserve it because we don't trust humanity and we don't trust ourselves because we're not willing to hold, to actually believe and understand that we're powerful. We want the power to be out there so we don't have to take accountability for it so that when something goes wrong, we're not Mm. the ones punished for it. (laughs) You know what I mean? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and I think, you know, I I don't, there's, there's a something somewhere in the Bible, it says, you know, uh, the fruit, like you can see by the fruit. Um, and I think that that's, that's how we learn. And that's, if we allow ourselves to, um, trust our, our instinct, our, our intuition, like I'm not going to convince anybody of anything. I'm, I am, if they see my life and I, and I, I have thought deeply about this because for the past, so when the 2016 election happened, like I was just, I was in a place where I was just like, like throwing my, um, my, what I believed was right, just out like all over social media, you know, I was just, that's where I was because I felt so passionate, um, about it. And, um, uh, you know, a couple things happened, but in the aftermath of that, for me, what I really learned is like I want to be much more about what I am about than than what I'm against. Yes, and exactly. people, I think, you know, and if I'm trying to teach my kids something, um, it's not gonna it's not gonna help to it's not gonna help to like pound into them to lecture them into like what they should do. But if they see me doing it and they say, Oh, well that's actually working for mom. Like maybe, maybe that I'll try it. Um, that's a much more effective like way, um, of, of world change of like, of, you know, and not that I'm trying to manipulate them, but it's like, it's like, it's fruit. It's, it's what I'm doing. And they're, you know, witnessing it exactly and you're giving them permission and allowance to figure it out themselves which is what it means to be human and also Mm. it's important that we understand and all of us have been in that place I've been in it too and also probably in 2016 not extremely like I I try to be careful because I've learned that lesson in the past before I was even on social media but um Mm. but I still did that I feel like I feel like I lost my power a little bit in that and what I realized for me is that if I believe I have to convince someone that what I believe is true, it actually means I don't really believe it because if it's mm, true for me, it's true for me. And, and, and if then I can le- I can live it and, and it will, like you said, it'll bear its own fruit. And that's the evidence. I don't need anything more than that. But if I'm, the idea that we believe we have to convince others of what we believe shows that insecurity in our own beliefs. 
Mm. that we that we don't actually believe it's true unless other people believe it with us and that's because group think group it's easy again our beliefs create our reality and there is something very powerful about the more people that believe something the stronger and the more momentum it gets but so often people just give all their power away to whatever the group is thinking because, like I said, it gives us the opportunity to not have to take responsibility for the world we're creating. Hmm. Yeah. Um, well said. I, I, I think we have to wrap up now. I want to respect your time. Um, but I would love to hear where people can find you, how to connect, and I'll, I'll link all of it in the show notes. Okay, awesome. Well, my new website is, it should be out, it should be up on Monday. So I'm going to give that, which is amandaflaker.com. And I don't know when you're going to post this, but if for some reason it's not up yet when people go, it should be very, very soon. Um, I also have my blog has as abundancematrix.org. And I am not super active on it. It's kind of the middle ground I've been using while my website has been getting up. But my website's going to be the best place to see what I offer and what I do. And then, of course, YouTube. My YouTube channel is just under Amanda Flaker, and that's where most of my content is. And and then I have groups, like free groups on Facebook and um, also paid, like, mastermind groups. So my mm-hmm. website will have all that information. Right on. Yeah, and I'm in your um, Abundance Matrix group, and I highly recommend it awesome. for anybody. Yeah. Thank you so much, Amanda. This was awesome. I could talk to you forever. Um, yeah, it was an. It's so fun. <laughs> I love talking about this kind of stuff. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. Mm-hmm.